Very good morning, Amokyo family. Welcome back to our sermon series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, Pastor Mihi preached that ultimate healing comes from Jesus Christ. When we receive forgiveness in Christ, we receive healing. And I'm very glad that many of you responded to God's invitation of healing by faith. So if you are healed, remember to send in your testimonies to encourage all of us. Pastor Mihi also preached on the need to find our security, our identity, and our significance in Christ. Otherwise, we will easily be boastful, jealous, competitive, and even critical of people in spiritual authority, just like the Corinthians. Indeed, I think a lot of problems in our lives can find their root in insecurity. And today we will examine one chief cause or one chief reason for insecurity. Today we will also conclude the first part of Paul's introduction Yes, as Pastor Iban has said, Paul is very long-winded. He took four chapters to make that first introduction. But I guess that's what a parent is prone to do. No, don't our children often complain to us that we parents nag them too much? So Paul was pretty naggy too, as the spiritual father to the Corinthians. But let's begin in prayer, shall we? Papa God, reveal your heart to us, even as we look at Paul's fatherly heart. For the Corinthians, Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you grew up in a predominantly Christian, a Chinese-speaking family, as I did, it's almost guaranteed that you will have learned this song, 世上只有妈妈好世上只有妈妈好有妈的孩子像个宝头进妈妈的怀抱 for those of us who don't speak Mandarin, this is a classic children's song that speaks of a mother's great love, that there is no better place to be than to be in a mom's embrace. In fact, the only place where we can find blessedness and happiness is found in a mom's embrace. Songs about fathers, on the other hand, seem to be in great lack. The first children's song that came to my mind a Chinese children's song that came to my mind about fathers is ironically about the absent father. And so this song speaks about how guests are visiting, but the father is absent. And so the children serve the tea instead. It paints a pretty sad picture. You see, fatherlessness is a seriously big problem in many societies, including ours. After more than a decade of pastoral ministry, I dare say that fatherlessness is one chief reason for many of our insecurities. By fatherlessness, I don't just mean children whose fathers have literally died. Orphans. Yes, of course, orphans are fatherless. That's pretty obvious. But fatherlessness can also be caused by absent fathers. Absent either because of work, or pleasure, or crime. In the former church Pastor Mihi and I used to come from, Crystallite Methodist Chapel, fatherlessness is pretty rampant as many fathers are no longer at home because of divorce, drug abuse, or simply neglect. We also know that many fathers in our world today are away for very legitimate reasons. Work, travel, but then there is also, unfortunately, the fact that fathers are away because of pleasure, games. And games can take on many forms, you know. 
it's golf, fishing, gaming, so and so forth. So that's the second category. And then there is also another category of fatherlessness, which isn't so much because the father is absent physically, but that the father is emotionally distant, either being too aggressive or too passive. I wish it wasn't true, but the reality is that physical abuse does happen in Christian homes too. And certainly many men are completely passive and do not lead their households as they should. Finally, for me, the most tragic tragic reason of fatherlessness is sexual abuse. While studies have shown that both mothers and fathers are capable of physical abuse, sexual abuse is almost always committed by male figures in the family, although I must say it may not necessarily be the father. Findings from a personal safety survey conducted in Australia in 2005 indicated that for participants who had experienced sexual abuse before the age of 15, 13.5% identified the abuse came from the father or stepfather. 30.2% was perpetrated by other male relatives. 16.9% by a family friend and so and so forth. And so the result of fatherlessness, if you put the whole picture together, is tremendous. I don't fully understand how it works and I'll return to the effects of fatherlessness in a while. But God has designed the family in such a way that fathers play a highly significant role in how a child eventually turns out, especially in terms of gender orientation. Now, before I move on, I know how difficult this matter, this message may be for some of us. But I strongly sense that this is a topic that God wants to bring about awareness and ultimately healing through forgiveness. I'm very deeply sorry if it brings back very painful memories. But I strongly urge you to continue listening to this message and bring your pains to Jesus. Bring your pains to Jesus on the cross in your own personal time. Now, it is from this perspective as a father that Paul writes to Corinthians. And that is how I I hope to relate to all of you as well. If ever I have to scold you as a church, please know that I do it with a fatherly love. As parents, we know that we don't delight in scolding or punishment, but sometimes loving discipline is really necessary. But first, let's get to Paul and see why he sees himself as a father to the Corinthian church. The answer is found in Acts chapter 18. It provides the historical uh, context for why Paul himself saw himself as the spiritual father. I leave it to your own reading. But effectively, Acts 18 records for us that Paul was the one who birthed the Corinthian church. And that is why he's the spiritual father, because he is the founding father. The problem, however, was that Paul eventually left for other ministries and mission work. When the situation at Corinth were eventually related to him, he faced two challenges. First, he must reassert his authority in a situation which had been severely eroded. And this is not easy because he needed to assert his authority again without destroying this servant, this under-rower imagery that he had taught them. Second, he must convince the Corinthians to change both their theology as well as their behavior to conform, to become like him, to imitate him. Their current way of living completely undermines the gospel and message. You see, Christians are supposed to be humble, holy, happy. But the Corinthians were proud, upset with each other, carnal. 
But Paul wasn't so much writing as an apostle, although he did assert his authority as an apostle. He wrote primarily, I believe, with a father's heart. Look at verses 14 to 17. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. We know this very well, that guardians are not the same as fathers. Legally, they may possess the same rights, but we know deep down inside that there is still a significant difference. Somehow, God has wired into all of us this deep need for a loving, good father figure in all our lives. Maybe Pascal was right when he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in all our hearts, and specifically a vacuum for our Heavenly Father. Earthly fathers are supposed to represent our Heavenly Father. Unfortunately, earthly fathers fail, myself included, and of course, some more dramatically than others in their failures. Many of the problems we observe in our world today can really be traced back to this problem of fatherlessness. An entire society does not simply turn wayward in one generation. The problems we see now in US, for example, is, I believe, a sad result of years and generations of fatherlessness, which I will show you in a while. Now, if you recall our sermon series in the book of Romans last year, our separation from God our Heavenly Father results in several consequences. First, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it results in wickedness and godlessness. And then, according to verses 21 to 23, foolishness and aimlessness. Subsequently, it leads to lawlessness and finally, to mindlessness, a depraved mind. Godlessness is essentially a rebellion against God and His design. The moment we walk away from God, naturally we will walk in wickedness because God is righteous and good. And so when we turn away from this God who is good, surely we are moving towards evil. Godlessness often begins, as Satan did at the Garden of Eden, with questioning. Did God really say Question mark. Why didn't God let you eat of that fruit? Is God not interested in your happiness? Questions like, why? Why must I obey the curfew set by my parents? Why must I follow school rules? Why must we wait till marriage to have sex? Why must marriage be confined to a male and a female? Questioning of authority is always the first step in this slippery slope of sin, which eventually, as the Bible says, leads to death. And then there is foolishness and lawless and aimlessness. Once we walk away from good judgment, sound judgment, good guidance, naturally we go into a period of meaningless wandering, aimlessness, without a purpose in life. You see, parents give a good sense of destiny to their children. Parents, if they are good parents, they would have watched us grow up. They would know our strengths and weaknesses. They would know if we possess certain natural gifts and talents, interests to find our vocation and purpose in life. They would know whether the boyfriend or girlfriend we bring home is suitable for us. 
Of course, many times parents do wrong by being too controlling. But at their heart, parents do know their children often better than the children know themselves. It's the same with God, really. This God who knows us intimately, who created us, has been there for us every moment in our lives. Really, there is no better guide than God our Heavenly Father. But when we turn our backs on Him, refusing His rules, we turn away from His guidance, we are almost doomed to learning from the school of hard knocks. We make foolish, unnecessary mistakes along the way. We meander through life without a sense of purpose and identity. We go with the flow. And unfortunately, the flow of life is always downstream. We may think, you know, many of us, when we cast off all restraint, we're just having a little fun in the river. But we forget that this river is flowing towards a great waterfall. Subsequently, when aimlessness sets in, we go further. We create our own laws. We don't just want to have fun, right? We are more than that. For example, we say now, I will no longer choose God's ways. I will choose to live the way of the world. Cheating, lying, scheming, doing whatever it takes to get the results I want. We set our own laws. There is nothing wrong in cohabitation. In fact, we fight for it. There's nothing wrong in having a mistress, multiple partners, same-sex partners. We think we have defined our own laws. We redraw our own boundaries. In reality, however, from God's point of view, all these are lawlessness. Lawlessness as seen in the Bible, especially through the book of Judges, is simply this. Everyone doing whatever is right in their own eyes. That's the Bible's understanding of lawlessness. lawlessness. Everyone doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. There is no overarching absolute authority figure at all. So we don't need the government, the parents, the church, or anyone to tell us what to do. We make our own rules. That's a sign of lawlessness. And so finally, from lawlessness, it's very easy to descend into mindlessness. So trapped in sin that we cannot help but to do evil. Now, I want to be very clear here. I'm not a sociologist. I don't claim to be without error in my judgment. But from what I see, from my anger as a pastor, from my reading of Scripture, this descent from godlessness to mindlessness is often played out. Pastor Mee and I, as I said, used to work the ground in the Geylang community. We have seen how youths growing up from broken homes, they start breaking school rules, at first, and then they begin to join gangs. They enter a life of meaninglessness, trapped by drugs, on the pretext of just having fun, making their own rules, only to end up completely lawless and mindless. It really breaks our heart whenever we think about some of them. Fatherlessness. Today Online published an article recently on how, you know, watching porn getting addicted, the experts tell us they have seen the risk linked to sexual offenders. And in this article, it says that parents of such cases usually provide little guidance and there is no monitoring of the children's use of mobile phones and the internet. The child and parents are also not comfortable discussing sexuality matters with each other and therefore having a lack of effective coping strategies. The children then turn to pornography to cope with feelings of stress and frustration from poor academic performance, for instance. So again, you see the problem of fatherlessness. 
But I want to say here, it's not just non-Christian homes which are broken. I used to run the trackers program, a uh, discipleship program for young people. And when I hear them read out their handwritten letters to their parents, Christian parents, I hear of Christian fathers committing adultery, being absent because of work or pleasure or whatever reason, and some are even sexually abusive. It breaks my heart. Fatherlessness. Moving to a macro perspective, it's quite clear to me that the decline of the United States didn't start with Donald Trump. For me, it started at least two generations earlier. After World War II, the United States became a global influence in economic, political, military, cultural, and technological affairs. And this unprecedented growth translated into a kind of prosperity that resulted in millions of office and factory workers. But this also meant that a lot of men were taken away from their homes because of work, because of wealth. From, 19, from 1867 to 1879, the annual divorce rate was only 0.3 divorces per 1,000 Americans. At the turn of the century, this divorce rate rose to 0.9 per 1,000. At the start of the 20th century, divorce was still considered taboo, a foreign concept. However, by the roaring 20s, divorce rate had climbed up to 1.7 divorces per 1,000 Americans. In the 40s, annual divorce rate reached 3.4 divorces per 1,000 Americans. By the 1970s, the rate was 3.5 per 1,000. By the end of the decade, it reached 5.1 divorces per 1,000 Americans. Divorce would almost certainly result in fatherlessness. And trust me on this, because I come from a broken home, I know the problems of fatherlessness firsthand. Of course, this is a caricature of US because reality is often more complex than what I just presented. But fatherlessness is what essentially the boomers grew up with. And the reality is you cannot give what you do not have. How can boomers provide a father figure to their children if they weren't parented in the first place? And of course, with the increasing pace of industrialization, modernity, globalization, divorces, more and more fathers were absent. And then there was also the problem of the landmark Supreme Court decision in 1973, known as Road v. Wade, where abortion was decriminalized. From increasing divorce rates to where U.S. it is today, it really is not difficult to see how it was downhill as marriages broke down, more and more single parents' homes were formed. Individual freedom was prized above all, allowing same-sex marriage to the point where we see now gender boundaries are completely abolished. When I went to study in the United States, a simple question of gender had 10 options. <laughs> I was confused. I didn't know half the term. Life is a lot simpler, you know, when you only have male and female. What we see in the U United States presidential campaign and the, the chaos at Capitol Hill is to many of us outsiders, lawlessness, mindlessness. Minds have become so depraved that they can no longer see the problem is no longer external. It has to be internal. G.K. Chesterton was one asked, what's the problem with the world? He gave the best answer. He said, me. We are the problem that we bring to the world but many of them don't recognize that. A depraved mind is simply incapable of discerning right from wrong. 
to see that the problem lies with us. As Romans chapter 1 verse 29 says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like the Corinthian church? How did Paul address them? He used the very same terms. Arrogant, boastful. But here's the thing we need to understand. Paul never gave up on the church because he is their spiritual father. Like God, our prodigal father, Paul, while trying to discipline and scold the Corinthian church, does not give up on his children. I believe God too, despite what is happening in the US, will never abandon them completely. So we must always pray for them, even as we pray for ourselves here in Singapore, not to go down this slippery slope. Perhaps today's message is the turning point needed for all of us, as parents, and especially as fathers, to sit up and live our lives differently. First of all, I want to stand as proxy on behalf of all fathers, because I'm a father myself. I'm also the spiritual head of Amokyo Methodist Church, which God has appointed me. So I want to take up this spiritual authority and apologize on behalf of all fathers. And this is a prophetic act. If you've ever been hurt by your father, either passively or actively, whether your father is still alive or not, I want to stand on proxy as a proxy on behalf of all fathers. And I want to say that I'm sorry and I seek your forgiveness. I am sorry and I seek your forgiveness. Remember, releasing forgiveness is so crucial to receiving emotional healing. And I pray that all of you who hear this message will respond with forgiveness for your fathers. Secondly, I want to encourage all of us fathers, let's arise and do our part. Don't ever think to ourselves, it's too late. Even if your children are already 50 years old, you are a grandfather, it's never too late. With God, every tragic failure can be redeemed. For Men's Fellowship, in the months of Feb, all the way to May, beginning first of all with Reverend Dr. Chang Wing Shun and later myself, three months in a row, one Saturday a month, we will be teaching on biblical manhood. For myself, I'll be teaching as men, as lovers, leaders, protectors, providers. Most of us are familiar with that last category, men as providers, but there is so much more to biblical manhood. And I want to urge all the men in our midst to join us so that we can journey together. Remember, it's never too late because the prophet Malachi prophesied God's heart that he will turn the hearts of the fathers, the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to the parents. The restoration of fatherhood and family is the only way to turn the tide, to prevent us here in Singapore from going down the same route as the US. So how does Paul begin to turn the tide for the Corinthian church? First, he says he will come in person. You see, a father must show up. Eventually, the father must show up. No more absentee fathers. But in the meantime, Paul urges everyone to imitate him by sending his son Timothy, whom he loves as his son, who is faithful in the Lord. Now, do you recognize that this is what essentially God the Father has done to? God comes to us, yes, but first, he sends us his only unique begotten son, 
to reconcile the world to himself. I don't think Paul was just, you know, tied up, therefore not able to come, and therefore had to send Timothy. That may be true practically, but I believe Paul is also following the divine pattern, testifying of this divine mystery and following the divine pattern. You see, the war against our enemy, Satan, and his schemes will not be won by politics, as many people misunderstand. The war is not fought outside. The war is actually fought inside the home, every day. The war that is out there is a distraction at best. Our church team is home with a heart for a reason. We are not just going to rewire our church here, you know, to be more hospitable. We're not just going online because of COVID primarily, but I believe that God is teaching us to focus on the family, focus on the home front, especially us as fathers. Men, I want to challenge you. Bring your hearts home. Don't leave it at the door. Bring your hearts home. Don't leave it at the workplace or at the playground, which is worse. Don't be absent physically, emotionally or relationally. Stop believing the lies of the world which tell us men that we need to be tough-minded. Those are lies. As fathers, we represent God our Father to our children. But first of all, we need to recognize that we are sons of God ourselves. We are first of all called to be children of God. And so it is time for us men to get right with God. We can never give what we do not have. We can only be good fathers when we return to our good, good father. Even those of us who are unmarried need to be right, get right with God our Heavenly Father. Because we may not be fathers biologically, but we can be spiritual fathers. Paul himself wasn't married. right? So it doesn't mean that only married men need to be fathers. All of us can play an important role in shaping the spiritual destiny of our church, and even our country. We have many young children gifted to us, steward, given to us to steward, for example, in our Sunday schools, youth ministries. Take our youth ministry, for example. We constantly emphasize the need for uncles and aunties to be present. Our youth ministries are led not only by young people, as many youth ministries do. We believe there is a scriptural and spiritual pattern for godly adult figures to be around. But it begins, first of all, with us getting right with God. And then from there, we begin to pastor the city, to father, to parent our world. And here I want to remind us of a very powerful spiritual truth. Towards the end of chapter 4, Paul writes, I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And here, basically, Paul, you know, challenges them. Do you truly have spiritual power? And here's a spiritual truth that Satan would not want us to know. That illegitimate, disobedient children will always lack power. On the other hand, we who are beloved children of God, true citizens of heaven, we have true spiritual power. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have the spiritual authority and power to change minds. That's real spiritual power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but truly of spiritual power to change minds and to change the direction of society even. So we need to understand we are on the victorious side, but we don't fight the war like, like the way you know uh, religious extremism does physically or other kinds of activism. No. Learn to submit ourselves to God. Continually ask for the mind of Christ. Remember, I shared with you the slippery slope of how you know sin begins. First of all, when godlessness and then eventually descends into mindlessness. What did Paul say that we have? We have the mind of Christ. Christ reverses the curse, turns the tide. Second, the mind of Christ is obedient to the laws of God. No more lawlessness. In fact, the mind of Christ delights in the laws of God, as so many of the psalmists testify. Then the mind of Christ is not aimless. On the contrary, Christ seeks to please and glorify His Father. There is such a divine purpose to glorify God. And finally, the mind of Christ is in complete fellowship with our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit, through the Son Himself. I said in my sermon on 17th of Jan that the mind of Christ is one of sonship, knowing very well that we are beloved children of God. And that is how we overcome the problem of insecurity in our lives. When we ask for the mind of Christ, to help us know that truly that we are children of God, deeply loved. That's where our security comes from. The mind of Christ comes to us as we open up ourselves to God's Spirit in our lives. The mind of Christ is seen in humility, holiness, and happiness. Remember, it is this same Holy Spirit who will enable us to live out kingdom power. This is the same Holy Spirit is the one who will empower us to be godly fathers and mothers. While I have slanted today's message towards fathers, and this is intentional because I know of absentee fathers, but I want to say also that mothers did not feel neglected. Both fathers and mothers play complementary roles in raising godly children. And both fathers and mothers need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In fact, as I said to you earlier, it's not limited only to biological parents. All of us, every Christian, needs the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I cannot emphasize this truth enough. We all need a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit daily. By the way, did you know that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is theologically tied to the promise of the Father? Just before Jesus ascended, He told them in Acts chapter 1, verses 4-5, to Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men to empower them for special service, but not in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon every believer, not only a select few. Also in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God promises, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And so the day of Pentecost 
is the fulfillment of the Father's promise. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is when the Father has kept His promise to give us a new heart and a new spirit. Remember, this is not just to a select group of believers anymore, like the Old Testament. It is given to every believer, male and female, young and old, slave or free. And so if any of us ever feel distant from God, our Heavenly Father, the solution is not trying to work harder to prove yourself as a Christian. We live in a performance-driven society. And unfortunately, we bring that performance trap mentality into our walk with God. Somehow, we think that we must prove ourselves before God will accept us. No. We, our minds need to be renewed once again. We can never earn approval. But we don't have to because God, our Father's love for us, never changes. And He has provided the means for us to be reconciled to Him, to Jesus Christ. And importantly, He gives us Himself in His Spirit. The promise of the Father is found in the Holy Spirit. The feeling of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift from God, we cannot prove, we cannot earn it ourselves. That is how we will feel that security, that we are indeed children of God. And then when we are secure in Christ, in our identities as beloved children of God, then we are no longer proud, jealous, competitive, critical. All these things won't matter to us anymore because we are so sure of our relationship with God. And once you are filled by God's Spirit, the classic children's song is completely revised as our spirits rise to call God Papa God and we undertake our parenting responsibilities with utmost Christian devotion, with power from the Holy Spirit. I rewrite this song. 世上只有天父好, this is theologically the correct song. Only our Heavenly Father is perfectly good. And kids with both parents are blessed. And once we are in our parents' embrace, not just in the mom's embrace, but in both the dad and the mom's embrace, that's where we will find that blessed assurance. Come, let us pray. Baba God, we thank you that you have revealed your heart for us, that you love us so much, even more than we can ever imagine or fathom. Forgive us for the many times we have misunderstood you and even tried to run away from you without realizing it actually leads us to lawlessness and mindlessness. But today, Lord, we ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Give us the mind of Christ that we may know once again, deep down inside, that we are beloved children of yours. And so, Father, I want to pray and break the curse of fatherlessness in our land. I want to pray and prophesy that truly the hearts of parents will turn to their children and children to their parents that we may turn the tide and bring glory to you, God, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.